Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hello, everyone. It is me, Ethan, starting season two of Love Extremist Radio. Really excited to be here. We're actually in my art studio in Highland Park, so don't mind the noise of the cars driving by or the skateboards on the sidewalk. And kicking off this next season with my dear friend, Brittany Zion Estrada. And... Really happy to have you here in the studio. Um, Brittany is a creative producer with a background in secondary education and research. She most recently left her 10-year educational career to apply her production, writing, and social critique skills in the film, health, and commercial worlds. Brittany believes in the intentional elimination of taboo sex talk, the radical deconstruction of the school system, and the human compulsion to tell stories. I love that fancy. bio. <laughs> Woo! Super fancy. Super fancy. I'm yes. excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. We've we've been having a lot of conversations about love over the years. Yeah. And reading and just like reflecting on all our experiences and perspectives. And I was thinking about kicking off this season and how I bookended the last season with my mom and really wanting to have that kind of personal conversation with someone who I have a close connection with to talk about these kind of sensitive things. And this season, I really want to go a little bit harder on the critique. I feel like last season was a really amazing primer in getting to know how people perceive and spread love as activists, as artists, as you know, sex-positive therapists, as uh, adult film stars, and everything in between. Yeah. And I really feel as though I still want to have those conversations, but really like push on the challenges. And the so often in our culture, there's this sense of taboo around love mm-hmm. and this sense of almost like disillusion, right? right? It's like, oh, we don't really believe in that. And yeah, so I want to pass the mic over to <laughs> you, Brittany. Um, but... I know we've been talking a bit about this, and I'd love to just get into it and, and see what you're thinking and, and how we can engage on it. Yeah, I think I, I'm i excited for the season. I love the approach. I, I will say um, I listened to all the episodes, and my bias and lean was always when you had like the Ricky Reseda or, or Madame Gandhi and individuals who did poke a little harder at the... Um, undercurrent of what our society has believed love to be and what we've been taught or socialized and really trying to radically imagine what we need in the future for either survival or sustainability mm-hmm. but you approached me yesterday and you and you asked a question and the question was how do we take love seriously 
And I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, serious? What's serious? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't, I, it's, the world's in an interesting place. I think everything is a, is a bit serious, but um, how do we take love seriously? I wanted, I first wanted to approach that question with saying, uh, I believe that love isn't, why love isn't taken seriously. And it's twofold. I think that society has directly found a way to connect love to erotic sex mm. and to suffering. So political movements or religious movements have done a phenomenal job <laughs> of using love as a tool to um, diminish or, or, or gear people away from love because we made love synonymous with sex. And for some reason, they... Not for some reason. It was very specific. If you look at... I've been reading Foucault way mm. too much. Mm-hmm. Um, which there's more people on the Metro that like Foucault than I thought. I wow. sparked some beautiful conversations. Amazing. I love that. Uh, but there has been this intentional drive to use love as a synonymous word for all of these other sinful entities or, or experiences that directly relate to suffering and pain. Mm. And even, uh, you know, the... I'm not a sports person, but tennis is happening right now. Okay. <laughs> tennis is always happening. Tennis is happening. And I'm, 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 here's my bias a little bit. I'm just looking at the women. I'm like, what's, what are my girls doing? And of course they're smashing. So I was like, yay, sports. <laughs> and I was watching one of the matches and the ref was like, 15 love. And love <laughs> yes, means right. you're losing. That's interesting. Love means zero, nil, nada. Yeah. And I'm... I'm watching this, preparing also for this conversation, and I was like, "Ooh, yeah, what's that about?" Yikes! And then I then I created this list in my head. I was like, "Okay, what else do I know about love?" Mm. Well, I'm a I'm a product of the '90s. That's when there was a huge boom for rom coms. Every rom com was about someone who wanted something so bad and had to go and jump through these hoops, which really created stalking. I think in a lot of ways where it's like, yeah. no, the woman just doesn't want you. So flying to the country where she moved to is weird. Right. Uh, but, or if we go far back to Greek myth, Eros, the story of Eros, like he was shooting people with an arrow. That was the whole story. It's yeah. pain. Right. There's always pain and suffering involved with love. So we were talking about this a bit earlier um, in regards to why, or at least for me, why I've always believed that love had to be this this box, Pandora's box, which we know that's kind of a scary story too. But it was this box that if you opened it, it would rain down the heavens and it just be bliss and joy and it's everything that we should want as humans or that we should seek and that love should be a goal. Um, but as we've both read, Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde speaks of love in a much different way as it should be a practice or love is a verb, and I think love is actually a responsibility mm. influenced more from the queer community. If I'm going to reference James Baldwin, he said that a person who can't love is the most dangerous person in the world. Wow. And love is the ability to see the experiences, specifically the experiences of suffering and pain, and empathize with it. Mm-hmm. So why why aren't we taking love seriously right now? I think, and I can only speak for the country I live in, but I think America specifically has done an amazing job at 
um, ignoring our capacity to empathize with other people's pains and creating others uh, and consistently denying the fact that other people have shared experiences that come in different boxes and, and really creating a lack of trust. Yeah, we've even gone further, I would say, in blaming right. people and shaming people who are going through it, right? And there's also the bypass or the idea of, well, that's not my struggle, mm -hmm. so I don't need to pay attention to that. Or I was just having this conversation with a friend yesterday in Venice. There's a pretty significant homeless population, houseless population in Venice, and interaction with that for him was not joyful, right? And he really struggled with that, and, and yet he felt heartbroken every time he would engage or, or see folks living on the street. And yes, I'd say that is really compassion and sensitivity and love in his emotional response. And it does fall short a little bit in regards to the verb part, right? right. You can right. say that your emotions are a verb, but really, like, where is the action there? And that's what it's a challenging conversation. You know, how do we compassionately show up for people who are going through it? Mm -hmm. And so often in our culture, yeah, it's kind of like we praise those who are almighty with the riches and the success and are, you know, we see that as being the utmost mm, God, really. And anyone that's struggling, it's taboo, right? It's right. like, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to focus on the negative, you know? Right. And, and there's almost a bypassing of that. And I really want to be clear, many people might see this show and think that that's what this is about, mm -hmm. right? Love extremism, what is that? You right. know, who's this happy white guy talking about, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, love? Like, where's he coming from What's with this? What's love gonna do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I think we see that right now, even in our political, democratic politi political debates, I like speak on, like, Marianne Williamson, yeah. right? And people don't really take her seriously. I laugh. Yeah. I laugh. Right. Most people do. And, and it, I don't blame them. I'm not, and I think it's understandable. And there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of stuff around Marianne Williamson that goes a lot deeper than just the love talk. And there's some stuff that, you know, we need to investigate there. I'm not saying that I'm supporting her as a candidate. What I'm saying is she's bringing love as a verb mm -hmm. into the conversation of politics. And it's not taken seriously, right? Right. And I think you could say the same about someone who brings it into business or the same about someone who might bring it into um, art. It's almost as if it's soft. It's almost as if it's yeah. like, oh, that doesn't really, like, it, it doesn't have real weight. It doesn't really have power or effectiveness. Right. Well, there's no, there's no power and there's no profit connected to the love that I think we're trying to describe here. We're, we're trying to define whoever is kind of on the same wavelength. Again, I don't know what that means either. Uh, but again, I, I'm going to reference Audre Lorde probably a lot during mm -hmm. this conversation. <laughs> As you should. She truly believes, and she clearly stated, that people place value uh, and interests or seriousness off of aspects or things that are profitable. And that does not directly relate to human need. Mm. So love... Right now, there's no profit. Except on Valentine's Day. Except on Valentine's <laughs> Day. Yeah, except for Valentine's Which only Day. illegitimizes it more. Even more. It makes it harder to take it that much more serious. But I, you were talking about like praising the people who make all this money and then see, people who are down and struggling. We kind of 
shudder away from yeah. uh, or blame or blame but these those are the people or those and I include myself in that I am part of that group we are all the people who have a human need and the human need is love so if Every single human on this planet needs this one thing. How is it not profitable? Like, mm. I just don't get it. And and I'm like, if we care about money making, we usually look at what do populations need and what can we sell them. I'm not sure how to sell love. I'm not in that business. Right. But I I've seen, or at least I've been able to witness what I what I believe society has done to the selling of love. Um, and it's through pornography, which I'm not bashing at all, the, or the porn industry. And, it, and But there are billions work. there, right? There right. is, and sex work is the original economy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a huge supporter of sex workers. I'm a supporter of them unionizing, and I think that is a huge economy, and it's a huge profit, and I believe that uh, individuals in that field are probably practicing love in a more active verb than I think most of us are. But again... Love is a pr- it's a prismed word. I'm I'm still I'm hesitant to say it more and more. And I and I was reading something you wrote because I say oh, I love these tacos. Well, right. <laughs> I, I was speaking to the response to Foucault on this metro. Just what you just said, and I said, oh, I love that. Right. right? It's 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 almost ingrained in our vernacular, and it's so hard for us to think about the in, the depth at which we can actually you know, what we mean versus what we say. It's funny, also, when you talk about love as a verb, I think the first thing that we probably go to is, oh, yeah, making love, having sex, right? Yes. And in my conversation with Janice Griffith, the adult mm-hmm. film star, mm-hmm. you know, she has this feeling of, like, yeah, I'm making love with the world because yeah. I'm sharing this sexual act with the right. world. And she has takes pride in that and loves her work and finds real meaning in that. And there's something to it. And I think it's also important for us to recognize there's so many more verbs that we can associate with love. And it doesn't have to be this singular thing attached to intimacy, attached to sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the the disconnect. If there was a way for us to surgically remove the word love from all of these other string words of like eroticism and monogamy and partnership and all of these words that sprout off of this one key seed, hmm. what then what would it be? And yeah, those are our anchor points. Yeah. Those are our anchor points, and yet I think the challenge that I'm taking on as a love activist is to think about, much like what Audre Lorde has done before, you know, and, and Jamila Dawson, who I interviewed, mm-hmm. who's an incredible sex therapist, and, mm-hmm. you know, so many folks who have studied love really are looking at this and going much further than the intimacy of partnership, than the two humans coming together and looking at how we can redefine this word and reclaim it, really, and kind of, you could even say decolonize the the associations of love purely with romance, purely with sex, purely with pleasure, and bring it into the realm of activism, of business. Of daily life and of of, of self of, of wellness, I would say, right. So, like the whole wellness is a hot topic right now. Mindfulness yeah. and yeah. well-being, and really, if you think about well-being, ultimately, love needs to be at the core in order to thrive 
as a human being. I mean, we can yeah. take all the medicine we want and, and do all the incredible things for our body and biohack away, but if we're not loving ourselves ultimately in an energetic and, and, and real way, exactly. it's futile. And our energy sources really, I mean, they're connected to, or the actual organs that give our body the energy to kind of make through the big traumas and the small traumas of the day, or even digest their food, are really connected to love sources, if we're mm. looking at the chakra, right? The right. placement of where our energy is coming from next to the actual organs that are pumping and churning every day. It's, I don't think there's any coincidence there. But I want to jump back to the word itself. Yeah. And I was, like I said earlier, I was with my friend Lonnie for dinner, and we were talking about shift and change and how problematic it can be in so many ways of feeling exploitative or mm -hmm. diminished, this health and wellness idea. Mm. Uh, and we were talking about the transformation of language and the transformation of language is coming with this new, the new rise of intellectualism, which, you know, some people might laugh at and some people might say, like, this generation's lacking it, which I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> but there's, there's just an access to words, theories, to scientists, to neurologists that are placing cute little square bumper sticker revelations of what's happening in our brain on Instagram. <laughs> and one of them is just bringing trauma to the surface. Yeah. So what we were talking about is... It's hard for me to take really anybody's words seriously nowadays, but specifically if I'm only talking about love. Mm. It's hard for me to take that word serious because I now am much more aware and critical of the fact that when somebody approaches a word, they're carrying years of trauma and damage. And when they say that word, they're hemorrhaging all of that trauma on me. And I'm doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, it puts me into a lot of weird situations where most of my friends roll their eyes because I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Why did you choose that word? Are you sure that's the word you want to use? And they're like, oh, my God, Zion, be quiet. Right. Stop talking. Right. But it's true. And it makes it hard for me to take other people's words seriously, not because I don't believe them. It's not because I'm diminishing their experience, but it's honestly because I don't know what is behind a word. I have 30 years of trauma and experience behind the word love. Well, and you told me yesterday when I asked you to do this with me, you went up to someone and said, let me give you some love. And you tried to do a 20 minute, 20 second, 20 second, hug. 20 second hug. So officially what it takes 20 seconds to really like transmit yep. the body to body energy to, of love. Of I think Audrey, Audrey did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so there's this spirit of, um, or this, the action, if you really want to take it, is a consensual 20-second hug can actually transmit your energy between the two people in a really powerful way. Yeah. And our, our bodies actually need that. I call it vitamin T. But, mm -hmm. you know, we need that touch on a daily basis in order to survive and to thrive. And babies who don't have it get sick. And, you know, even, even older humans do as well. Right. And it was interesting how the, what was the response that you got from trying to give someone a 20 second hug? It was giggling, squirming, laughing, then a final like release. Yes, it was consensual. You know, I definitely mm -hmm. asked. Uh, and then the backpedal was, God, you're such a hippie. Right. 
And there's all these associations. I mean, I just dug into like the historic like associations we have at this point with what a hippie is, right? It's not necessarily a positive thing, right? I think. Yeah, uh, no. well, I mean, maybe never. Yeah, maybe never. I mean, certainly, like in the time of the hippies, there was a moment maybe, but like this association with free love, I think, conjures up thoughts of STDs and right. and Charles Manson right. and you know, like all sorts of problematic things in that culture. Free love, you know, kind of like turned into you know, hippies turned into yuppies. Now, you know, it's like kind of where are we now with that? And there is a resurgence of some of that energy in like what you did, right? I mean, you're conscious of the value of a 20 second hug and that might have been something that was, you know, commonplace in the 70s. And yet it sounds like you were the reaction to you was a lot of as you said trauma or mm-hmm. discomfort mm-hmm. coming through. Mm-hmm. And so often that's informed by our families, right? Because that's our first taste of right. what love at least should be and where intimacy and touch should take place right. and usually do. And I, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with discomfort. I don't think there's anything wrong with suffering. That's a huge problem. I think, I, I believe that my struggle, and I'm still trying to piece apart what love is for me and, and how I'm going to use it as a verb, as a tool, how I'm going to teach it to the children that I might bear, or just the kids that I'm teaching or the friends that I have. I have never thought of love as anything else but suffering. That's just what it, it's always connected. Love has always been, I have this. Come on, we've had some good times together. Yeah, of course, (laughs) of course. And they're beautiful, but the majority of the time, and we're talking about negative bias, it's so real. Yeah. The majority of the time that I've experienced love, my definition of true love, the thing that I can't put a word to, it's only a feeling, it's directly connected to death or loss. Mm -hmm. So the first time that I actually figured out I love something is when I watched my dad die. That was the first, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, this is what love is. This is what, I, I, mm. I, tra- I portaled with him. I was standing right in front of him when I watched him take his last breath. I'm touching him when you feel a body actually lose its life. Wow. And you love that body and the person who was that body and the experiences you had with that body. That was the first time I felt love. I was 22. Mm. And it was directly connected to death. Other moments that I felt like I was deeply in love with something, it, it's only because I did not have that thing as a mirror in front of me. So, and I, I love that. I love my love for pain and discomfort. Well, and it's interesting the connection to death because I relate very deeply. I'd say like my, I discovered love, the concept of love extremism before I confronted my mortality, but upon my brain cancer diagnosis it was like oh this is purpose here mm-hmm. right like love is all I can really have the bandwidth for in order to heal and moving forward love is all I can really offer in order to heal right. and healing is not just personal but collective and and um, yeah I think it's really a, a beautiful thing to associate that suffering and pain can still be important components of love. Mm -hmm. And that gets to this idea of like truth, right? Like truth is love, whatever that is. And also if that loss had been joyful or had been a celebration, 
it might al may also be associated with more of like a, a lightness, right. not necessarily comfort, but right. you know. And it, it was though, it was. I mean, he was ending his battle with cancer, and it was such a relief. Right. I mean, everybody in the room got to take a deep breath when he took his last breath. Wow. So there, I don't think that uh, joy and discomfort are as are as opposite as we say they are. Right. I don't. I don't. Well, and it's so interesting how so much of our society just like want our, our culture wants to avoid discomfort at all mm -hmm. costs mm -hmm. right we want to avoid aging we want to avoid death ultimately we're like a f well, so Americans afraid of death and avoiding a lot of shit so <laughs> this is our yeah. prime skill yes we yes. love avoiding the truth right but if truth is love then we're all we're doing is avoiding love and we're creating all these magnificent ways to avoid love right to avoid healing to avoid transformation revolution we're avoiding all of it. So if we were to start to reframe love as truth, if everyone listening were to really think, oh, that lesson I learned that was really hard and uncomfortable and maybe called out some bad behavior, but actually helped change the way, the course of my behavior moving forward, mm -hmm. that was actually love. Yes. If we, could, if we realize, oh, that loss of that partner the feelings I have about that relationship, what I gained from that, that was actually, and still is, love. And then to realize what, what gold we can mine from that, what we can like take from that and turn into lessons. Mm -hmm. And I think this was an area where I've been writing a lot and realizing the relationship between love and death and realizing that so many people take those traumatic experiences and turn them deeper into darkness, right? Like the yeah. negativity bias drives them towards death in a different way. And sometimes we see really destructive behavior, right? We see folks getting out their guns and shooting up any number of institutions mm -hmm. and groups and focusing their hatred on people because of the love they didn't receive and they didn't they didn't. They weren't able to have the tools or the wherewithal or the privilege even to transmute their pain right. into love. And so I do see this, like, I don't want to say binary, but there is kind of this path towards death as destruction and this path towards death as joy and yeah. uplift. Yeah. And we can kind of choose which path we want to go. And there's, uh, there's obviously a spectrum and there's so many other paths we can take. And mm -hmm. it, it's a both and situation because sometimes they're going to be really sad and feel destructive and need to punch our pillows or yeah. go to the kickboxing class or whatever it is to take out the energy. And this culture has often lost sight of the opportunities I think we have to transmute trauma, pain into life force energy and ultimately joy mm -hmm. and light. Yeah. Well, I agree with all of that. And and you, you restarted this quite or this this segment asking how do we reimagine love? Mm. Um, so that it can be taken seriously or that it could have some sort of platform. Um, and I think it's re structuring the hierarchy of love or dismantling it or whatever word might fit um, because whenever I'm thinking about love now in this new conversation of death and joy and suffering and experience and lessons of rehabilitation it's power yeah it's also directly related to power 
Personal so, power. Personal power, political power, economic power, social power. Love is in all of the realms. Mm. It exists. Mm-hmm. Even when we say that it doesn't, it's mm. still there. Mm-hmm. So we have to restructure, and I'm only using the word hierarchy because that's how we work. I don't <laughs> believe in hierarchy either. If we can do something a little bit more circular, something lower to the ground, great. We're not all there yet. So For sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to play within this realm um, with the tools that we have. But uh, how can we start with uh, critical and contextual approach to see love as power. Not as a powerful tool, but as power. Because we as humans are naturally, we lean towards something that is powerful or we lean towards what is powerful within us or we have some sort of respect for power. Mm -hmm. We praise the sun, right? It's as simple as that. Even the plants even lift Mm -hmm. their chins up. So how how do we how do we do that? How do we make love powerful? Well, ultimately, I'd say right now that we see money as power. We equate yeah. money and power, and and so if we were to re, I think here's one thing. Let's follow the path of money and power all the way to its end. Mm-hmm. Let's say we're busy billionaires. And, you know, we're, we're, we, money is never anything we ever have to worry about again in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine that privilege. Do we have love? And do we want it? And my argument would be yes. My argument would be it doesn't matter. And I, I've said this time and time again. It doesn't matter if you're in first class or the back of the plane. When the turbulence hits... And the plane's going down, right? Death is promised. Right. And ultimately, when that happens, it's not about how much wealth you have when you go to the grave. It's about how much love you have. Who's surrounding you? How connected do you feel yeah. to your life? Are you proud of your life? Yeah. And you look back, like, can you, can you be joyful? Can you be, honor yourself? And, yeah, I would argue that that's my process is like realizing like, oh, I see a lot. I mean, we see today so many people that amass immense, immense wealth and have really huge challenges. I mean, many entrepreneurs will do very well economically and then kill themselves, right? Or, or they're not satisfied in their marriage or like they don't have a healthy family lives. And it's like, oh, so maybe that's not the goal. But how do we collectively reshape that? Because for so many people, especially right. those that have never had a chance to even experience wealth, it's like, well, I got to get there before I can even get to love. Right. Well, that's the problem. It's, it's how do we um, systematically, linguistically, socially, you got to put it in our textbooks, we got to start injecting it into the media and the newspapers on social media. We have to start finding ways and words to kind of trick people. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like right. propaganda. It's full propaganda. Right. How do we trick people to now see, or at least in the future see, love as power? Not, I mean, it's a replacement mm-hmm. of power because right now what we believe is powerful is wealth. Mm-hmm. And and I still believe wealth is then connected to race and mm-hmm. class. Oh, of course. And even within race, it's the colorism of your race and, mm-hmm. and your social economic background. Uh, if all I mean, of capitalist that, patriarchy, right? What just all of it? Yeah, yeah. 
that and, and even, you know, cis, heterosexual Christian norms, all of that for some reason is still, it's tied to power. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for many reasons we know, right? For many reasons. I think if we were then to replace what we know know as power with love, then that whole string of fucked up history of power that has been oppressing so many... Sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to cuss on this. You do your thing. Um, I've been doing really good. I've been You've been so doing great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have such a huge body mouth. <laughs> uh, I, I just think it would, it would shift people so radically that that's why we're scared of it and we're hiding it and we're just not approaching the situation. Yeah, and I, I, I hate to be binary here. Um, it's very much in my nature to be so. But I do associate the, at least the dissolution of patriarchy and the reemergence of matriarchy or at least more feminine values in our culture um, and what power lies in that to start to right the ship. And patriarchy isn't about men and women, right? It's about so much more than that. And yet our capitalist system was designed, and I'm learning all about this from reading this amazing book called Debt, and it's talking all about basically how capitalism was formed in order to trade women mm. as property, right. um, both in the sex trade but also as labor, right. to give labor but also to provide labor for a domestic house. Mm. And... You know, the idea of the dowry came from that and then like protection of that with our, you know, our systems and then slavery, you know, was an evolution of that. And so this shift in when we became a patriarchal culture, which we've been for now thousands of years, is really so entrenched in everything we do um, that really it it, it is the heart of of shifting power. Right. And and and, right. and I think like as as we can if we were to think about just on a very basic level if we were to think about like motherly values in power in our leadership then things like education and healthcare mm. and food and shelter would be priorities above war and business right. and those ownership, ownership right. And so, you know, call that the communal, but we're all communists, right? Like amongst our friends, amongst our families, we have no problem sharing the things that we own and, and honoring our friends and saying, yeah, of course, you can take my truck, right? You can, you can have this yeah. piece of artwork. Like what is mine is yours. I love you, mm-hmm. right? And so if we can get into a, an economy and a culture of love, I really think that's also about dismantling the toxicity that patriarchy has entrenched in us. Definitely. And yeah, my buddy Richie, who was on season one at, at Richie Reseda, is definitely outspoken on this and, and an incredible mentor for me on that issue, on that yeah. topic. And it, it goes, I mean, we, we can take it down to the ground, literally, um, with our constant, constant abuse of the earth. Right. That I... That idea that's definitely speaked and seeped by patriarchy. It's we own this world, mm-hmm. and it we deserve to receive everything that it could possibly give us. Extraction. We yeah. just take and we take and we take. So, whenever I have experiences in nature with nature, 
it's also probably the easiest time for me to find love. Mm. I have my dog, mm. Fred. My love with this animal, and, and don't get me started. I listened to a horrible podcast that made me feel very guilty about owning a dog, but hey, <laughs> I can't go down that road. But having this animal uh, has allowed me to feel such a, a specific type of love. Right? Mm. I mean, there's also types of love that we For haven't sure. even touched yet, which I don't know if we have enough time. But it, it supersedes power in a lot of ways power that is directly connected to this history of like exploitation and racism and uh, heteronormativity in Christianity for me because I am I I'm just unbelievably empathetic mm. that's it my, right. my, there is no language there's mm-hmm. no there's no shared language our community is through touch me and my dog my community is through touch and it's through showing up that's it and Mm. it's me trying my best with this other creature with its completely you know his tortured past that i don't know about because he was a rescue right the only way that i can communicate and the only way we can share power is through touch and the best that i can get with eye contact which Mm. i believe he's a human on the inside because we're (laughs) telepathic but it's it's interesting it's we I want to integrate nature into conversations more where we're talking about uh, critical power dynamics. Mm-hmm. And especially when we're talking in relationship to love. We have large communities of people, specifically people of color, who are and have been stripped from nature. Right. I think going into nature might be one of the easiest ways for people to tap into love. That's yeah. systematic. Absolutely. You know, and and there's a lot of interesting um, thoughts around how we can get collectively back into love. If you go back to the hippies, right, there was a lot of talk about LSD being the way, right? And now if you study what Rick Doblin's doing with MAPS and MDMA, you know, there's a lot of thoughts about how that can cure a lot of us from trauma and from stress. Mycelium push and research studies working with magic mushrooms for those who experience extreme trauma or vicarious trauma, which is very scary. Right. But I also want to be, I want to be careful. I mean, I think your relationship with Fred is absolutely love and connection and real and touch-based and it's also intrinsically of a patriarchal nature 100%. right because there's ownership yeah and there's reliance and there's dependence right and so if there if you were to open the gates and let fred do what fred chooses to do would fred stick around would fred run off would fred be able to take care of himself well, I and mean- in that case, he his choice has been stripped of him in so many ways. His autonomy, this is great. His autonomy and his agency was stripped away because of my love for him, because of my patriarchal love. I love this animal so much. And he did. Ha- he gave me a fright once. Mm. Dan was there where I was like, it's the end of the world. I was so melodramatic. Oh, no, he but ran out. He was out. just running, ara- running around town chasing some coyotes. Having a Woo! But Fred is not a runner. Fred does not leave my side. Yeah. He won't. Yeah. He doesn't. And I don't know if it's because it's his choice. And I think now that you, you know, I like that. Thank you for probing me on on this idea. But because I love him so much, maybe I'm stripping some of his agency. I'm well, stripping some of his wild. Because he's like, well, this is the woman who feeds me. I don't know. She, she likes to scratch my butt. I'm just going to chill here. But it's not you, right? This is generational. Yes. 
dogs have been domesticated first, right? They were one of the first animals to be domesticated. And so, you know, dog is man's best friend for a reason, right? And that's because the dogs are part of this. Generationally, you can't just put a dog in the wild and assume that they're going to figure it out. I mean, some might. Some still have their instincts. But others might die. And, you know, you see wild dogs around and, like, they make it. But a lot of folks take care of them or put food out. And I was just in Istanbul and there's cats everywhere. And it's amazing, but it's also kind of dirty. And yeah. and people legit, like, just put food out for the cats, you know? And, and it's kind of like there's this symbiosis. And at this point, we've learned to live with these animals in a way where it's not like they're going out hunting. And, it, you know, there's a reason for that, right? Like, the coyotes are starting to show up. The coyotes are really they're showing up. I ate my family dog. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. For everybody out there who's lost an animal... Mm. I got love for you. Yeah, real love. So I want to I wanna ask you, because you have been really the model of uh, medicinal love, mm. uh, and you've used love as your core source for, for healing, and I'm, I'm much more, not to put us on opposite ends of the table, because we definitely sit together. <laughs> sitting on your lap, you know, like on my shoulders. Right. Uh, we're climbing on top of each other. But I, I find myself much more pessimistic. Yeah. And I find myself much more critical, never to the extent where I'm not open, mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. But I, I want to know, how do we transition this conversation into like more of the personal, internal, and spiritual aspect, which we're going in as a community, as a country, wellness and these conversations about and in, in self-awareness and being intentional mm. is, is bubbling to the top of conversation and it's not being taken seriously mm-hmm. by a large group of people. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, how do you use love as medicine? And how do you take it so serious? Well, um, thank you. And thank you for saying that I use love and medicine. I, I, I believe I do. Um, and it's also a constant thing I need to focus on and refocus on because it's easy to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the, one of the questions that's deeply linked to this is my relationship to trauma and death is my own and is unique. And yet, I find often camaraderie in others who share similar experiences of their own um, brushes with end of life. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily the same when it's a loss of another as it is their own loss of their own body. And having a traumatic health experience or a violent experience that, you know, threatens their life. And especially those who have those experiences and come from places of privilege, like I do, um, might have certain tools that enable them to come out of those traumas recognizing they dodged a bullet and that bullet will come back. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes that bullet dodge to take it seriously and realize, oh, this bullet's going to come back. So before the next bullet comes and actually hits me, I'm going to live it up. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was really committing to love and not wasting my time with much else. 
I have the good fortune, and again, the privilege to use love as an anchor point with which I can do other work, right? I find love to be a universal access point for art, for gathering, for community, for media, for conversations, for maybe eventually politics, right? Mm -hmm. All sorts of different avenues with which mm -hmm. love can be infused. And I think everyone can be heart-centered in their leadership and in their yeah. experience of life. And I don't know if we need personal bullets, you know, aimed at us, these traumas, right, to, to really come around to that revelation that death is promised, life is short, and these bodies are spaceships that self-destruct mm -hmm. or are destructed. And um, for me, that was all abundantly clear. I acknowledge not everyone's going to have that same reaction to their bullets when they come at them, right. you know? And some people, will, it'll downward spiral or it'll make it hard, life harder for them. I, again, had the opportunity to come out of my, you know, recovering from surgery and chemotherapy and radiation and um, really stepping back into a commitment to live and doing so from a place of love. Because recognizing, actually, if I were to continue just to live and not intentionally focus on love, I believe I would be doing myself a disservice. And um, it's not an authentic way of living for me. Mm. So I would say, like, if I were to just go back about my, my daily business and focus on making money and, you know, just surviving day to day, and not thinking about purpose and not thinking about love, um, I, I think my life you know, and my healing would not be the same. And so to be able to come out of this and say, no, like, love is now like a tool and a verb and, a, and an intention behind everything I do and seeing the potential of healing both myself and those around me with this energy um, is really important for my personal healing right. and, and then being able to share that. Right. So I think most people have a part of them that believes that love is important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to push that more because uh, I, I don't know everybody's beliefs, but why is it important? And I, I'm asking that to start conversation, uh, but... Why is love important for the future? And if it does have this importance, um, how do we help people like myself who associate love with a little bit of suspicion mm. and doubt uh, and, a, and a lack of, of sincerity in so many ways? Uh, is, it, is it through reclaiming the word and redefining it and finding some amazing PR company to launch a <laughs> campaign to do it sponsored by, I don't know, some, out, some funny alcohol or like weed, right? It's going to be something <laughs> yeah, that's right. probably toxic for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we going to launch a campaign to change Webster's book? And also, geez, anybody, please go to your dictionary and look up the definition of love. Right. It's horrible. Yeah. It's something that I actually don't want. Right. Like, you want to find it? I don't yeah. Know it here, but. I put it in um, uh, Oxford. I looked it up. And Oxford says, love is an intense feeling of deep affection. And then they also had another one associated with, like, loving a thing, right? Like, I love, you know, it's an yeah. object or. 
and it's, it's feeling of deep affection. It's not doing much service to the word. I I, I really prefer Eric from and 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 his his definition, which is really rooted in um, honoring what is and what could be, mm. and 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 kind of like honoring truth and also the the potential for. For greatness and for growth and for healing and for joy and for all of that in yourself and others. So um, how, do we, how do we how do we take it serious, and why should we take it serious? Well, so I I would like to think that instead of a toxic company, um, which you know who knows there might be companies affiliated with Love Extremist Radio and my work, and I don't want to speak necessarily to who, who who those might be, but but aside from that, I'd like to think that like this is a start and others can participate and there are many i've met so many love activists along the way and i right. consider you to be one too and so it's a groundswell of acknowledging that we can use love for activism and holding on to that and it's also re recognizing that yes we need to redefine things universally in oxford's dictionary and have the pr and all of that but also like we need to come up with definitions that are again true to us, yeah, and yes. uh, and and be able to speak authentically about that. So your definition of love is not mine. Your experience of love is not mine, mm -hmm. and y the fact that you can articulate the pain and the loss, especially in talking about your, your, what you experienced with your father, and still see the value in that, and see how important that was in your growth and your experience as a human being and what you can give back. That to me is an incredible point of expression for love. And it's really not, I, I think like assume, assuming it's about light and joy, I think is a little misguided. I'd say it's more about value and more about in, in, impact. Mm -hmm. And what are the most impactful things in your life? And how can love inform them? Or how did love participate in them? Or where, where did that, where do those feelings go? And then how can you redirect that energy forward right. to the potential of healing, mm -hmm. to the potential of, of joy, of, of light, of shared experience? And also, as you said, to like the compassion of challenge and of obstacles and of reality that is not always light. And like, let's be real, you know, we're going through some tough times. Very tough times. The only thing that I feel confident is a truth is that we are going at, at least as a country and I think globally we're, we're heading into some dark times mm. uh, and, and we're in them and we're in them and on a personal level and a spiritual level global level we are going to change and there's going to be war and there's going to be anger and there's going to be an explosion of hate and knowing that as a truth as a scary truth as my pessimistic truth uh that's why i have to take love so seriously because love yeah. to me is the ability or the responsibility to take pain and to learn from it and to grow from it and to believe that if i can do that than the person next to me can. And I think that belief can dismantle so many of the systems that we have in place that don't allow for rehabilitation rehabilitation or or trust in someone's ability to see what has happened to them as pain mm -hmm. or see what has happened to the person next to them as painful and then say, 
hold it. Cool. Do you see what you learned? Great. Can you now love it? Mm-hmm. Can you love can you love it and move the fuck on? We need to be very, very, very fluid. And I always reference the history of the LGBTQ community and their strong, strong ability to push and to evolve and be fluid through love. Yes. They to yes. me and I'm I'm part of that community as a pansexual Afro Latina. That is Love is the ability to just see all of the painful acts that have happened to a community, learn from it, grow, become fluid, and keep moving. Mm. Yeah. I just, I, 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 I'm so on board. I just saw Future speak in a panel at Afropunk in New York, and they said some incredible stuff Everyone about the say. history of Black Lives Matter, right? <laughs> and how, yeah, it's this community of LGBTQ commu community that's really behind this movement yes. for black lives mm -hmm. and ultimately for the lives of all folk, but really Everybody. specifically looking at how can we use this lens and this movement to support each other mm -hmm. as community in love right. and in joy. And the jokes they were saying, oh man, it was just really light and it was a heavy conversation yes they're able to do that though can you interview Future's that? amazing has it oh, happened yet not yet but i'm working on it i'm working on it yeah that would be great <laughs> um and yeah i think I, I i think that when we when we think about that vision of oh the future's looking bleak things aren't going so well and it's only going to get worse before it gets better I think it's really important to stay grounded in what our impact can be and be realistic about that, mm -hmm. right? Let's be truthful. Our impact is day-to-day, people-to-people. Yes. Who are you interacting with? And how can you offer some light touch of light to that person, right? How can you conjure up something? And if you're going through it, you, it's not your responsibility, right? You don't have to do this. Yet, if you notice you're in the privilege of light, how do you share it with others so that it can spread? Because ultimately, I believe light perpetuates light and dark perpetuates dark. And if we let dark into our personal psyche, it will only continue to spiral us darker. And not to say, again, that's a very binary statement, yeah, and like yeah. darkness has value and mm -hmm. is important, and shadow is like, important and dope and I'm doing a lot of work around I love that. My shadow self. Yeah, you gotta love your shadow, right? <laughs> like existential kink. What's going on? <laughs> and let's let's just be intentional in noticing when we have something to share that can really support someone, regardless of what they're going through and in respect to what they're going through. Yes. Honor them. Hear them. Listen to them. Laugh with them. Smile with them. Touch them if they accept that and will hold, hold you. There's so many offerings that are light and are just about human interaction that remind us that we're all connected in many ways mm -hmm. and have the capacity to heal each other. And it doesn't have to be this big mental exercise. It can just be something as simple as making a meal for a neighbor, giving someone a high five, Having a conversation with someone, honoring someone on their special day, and it 
doesn't have to be a stranger. It can be someone you know, right? That's easy. Mm-hmm. And that ripples out. And the more that we can engage with that, again, with safety and with compassion and recognizing where and when it's right for us to do it and when maybe we need to ease off and look at ourselves first, because you can't give that love without having it within you authentically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's real opportunity for activism and for change in our culture. So that that's the root of the day-to-day and where I'm basing this philosophy. And I, I hope that in the course of this season, we can unpack that more and I can have more challenging conversations with people who push back on me for this. Yeah. Because I recognize from where I sit and my identity and history and story, there's a lot that's gone my way so that I can speak like this. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect everyone to come at it from the same place. And I really want us to be able to share our perspectives and our stories and why maybe there's, you know, poke holes. Right. Where are the flaws so we can actually get progress and inform a path forward that's even more robust? Yeah. It's necessary. That's why I love having conversations with you. <laughs> I love poking holes in your conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but you're also studying this stuff. And what's funny to me is, like, you, I, just out of respect, I think you let your negativity bias take hold of you more more than you need to. Yeah, you I know? know. You don't have to identify with that so hard. And that is a choice. No, you're right. You're right. But I am... I'm. The more I identify it, the more she's materializing. So now, so I can see her. I yeah. was not able to see her. Well, that's negative, so important. This negative entity. I right. wasn't able to see her as as a as a perspective mm-hmm. for such a long time. So I'm I'm just in the phase of identifying the parts of me that I'm not trying to get rid of. It's just trying to see it, mm. and you know, invite them to the table too, mm. and the that that negative side, that critical side, and I'm, I'm not saying them as they're synonymous, but I'd like to call her criti- crit- more critical instead mm-hmm. of negative. She mm. likes it more. <laughs> uh, that critical side of me um, is what draws me to the conversation of love. Yep. I feel you. Well, and I think that that is such an important side to bring, and I'm excited to continue having this conversation. I mean, we can go for hours. We've just about hit the hour mark, so I do want to... Um, honor the time of everyone listening um, and I'm so grateful for our friendship and for you coming in and doing this with Thank me. You. Um, if you were to drop a jam on the outro, Ooh. a love song, what would it be? Has to be. Uh, I'd Rather Be With You by Bootsy Collins. Woo! And I just want to put in an asterisk here. I know before we started, you said you had a lot of sad love songs that so you were going to first. And I just want to say, you know, there's time and place for sad love songs, and those are important too. So we'll drop the Bootsy, but sadness is, is totally part of this, and we'll that's add true. add in the sad song that I wanted to put in on, on the post. Okay. We'll link it in. We'll link it in. We'll link in the sad song. And... Um, this has been an incredible conversation with Brittany Zion Estrada. I am grateful to you for coming out and having this conversation, and it'll be ongoing. And thank you all for listening and participating in Love Extremist Radio. It's going to be an amazing season. Got an incredible lineup of guests. I've already got a backstock of some crazy conversations I've had thus far, and really looking forward to the 
ongoing conversations and your participation. So please subscribe, comment, share, talk to me, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Take care.
think I'm trying to be funny, but I'm really serious this time, baby. Even though uh, it's a cold world, baby, but you know deep down inside that I do love you. I know I sound strange, but I really mean it. We're going to make it this time, baby.